So our last poem is Ahead My Father Moves by Boi Kim Cheng. Ahead my father moves, his limp gait canted to the left, an iambic beat I trail after, urging him on, tagged to his shadow's wake, willing his legs on so that this city stays alive, keeps us alive, so its streets and arcades will not disappear. Through Sissok Street he walks, his pace pained but unflagging, and a whole precinct rises from ash, a five-foot way stirring to life, bilingual short signs unspooling, as if lit by my dad's passage, the auspicious Chinese name scrolled in red or gold, the medical hall with jars of herbal cures, the goldsmith with its arm guard, the dry goods store retailing salted fish, the chatters auditing their ledgers, all restored, alive with the old world chat of customer and proprietor. Past Malacca Street to Raffles Place we walk, a fume reel I keep running. As long as I keep it going, Keep my father moving, he will be safe. I know the moment when he will fish out his swallow matches and consulate pack and pause to light the cigarette that will keep him going but also kill him. And I passive smoke the smell of memory and place, the arcade and Robinson's resurrected from the giddy smoke, each puff a genie's breath materializing the civic heart of the city. It is 1970 and we have not lost each other or the city. We drift along the length of the alley, the stores signalling us on, the souvenir shops, the sundry goods, the money changers egging us on, giving us back the lost years. We walk past the loan sharks, past his bankruptcy, past the accident and the limp, past the clot in the brain, and past the mistakes, to his prime, and he is carrying me on his shoulders, as I will my son a life and death ahead, and I am above the bazaar. And eerie, from above his brilliantine hair, I ride him like a camel through the bustling soup, catching whips of worlds out there, prodding my father on with my silent pleas, the two of us travelling above the currents of time. Then I am carrying him, as I will carry the full pack and mine from the army, as I will carry his absence around the world. He urges me on with gentle kicks, a tired rider who knows we must not stop, or the desert will close in, and night to take him from his son. He walks me to the end of the alley, past the place where my poetry has come from, past the end to the beginning, the beginning to the end, and back again to the close of time. So that was uh, Hey My Father Moves by Boi Kim Sheng. And I would say that he's one of my favourite uh, Singaporean-born poets, uh, especially with the way he handles uh, time and memory. Basically, I read, I read somewhere that uh, how he handles time isn't through like chronology, but it's more so through like uh, duration and, and experience. Mm-hmm. So time is time and, and by extension memory are defined by uh, the, the, the experiences of sense, uh, like, like sight, sound, smell, all, the, all those kinds of things, uh, rather than like specific events mm. or that that kind of mark out uh, his memory. And yeah, he, he he writes about his father a lot. So there is a lot to deal with here. I think we can go ahead step by step. Uh, mm. First two lines. Ahead, my father moves his limp gate canted to the left and iambic beat I trail. So over here, we can hear gradual, longer vowel sounds that, that increase in urgency and pace 
by by the last two lines in the stanza. The the vowel sounds actually become shorter, and there's also a lot of uh, consonances, right? So, uh, within his legs, city stays, keeps us, streets and arcades will not disappear. Mm. So there's this hurrying along of the pace. There's this sense of urgency that that pervades this stanza. Yeah. And yeah, there's a lot of uh, name drops. So Cecil Street. I've actually never heard of that place. Cecil Street. Mm, is it in Singapore? It is in Singapore. Yeah. Another place I haven't visited. But yeah, um, his pace, pain, but unflagging, and the whole precinct rises from ash. So it's kind mm. of like kind of like a fairy tale, right? Uh, mm-hmm. what, what is this is reminding me of is Alibaba, uh-huh. uh, like the the doors of a cave opening, and 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 then there's all that treasure just suddenly like springing up in front of him. Yeah. Uh, also, what was it? Uh, Aladdin. Yes, yes, Aladdin. I don't know, it just reminds me, reminds me of that 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 scene where he <laughs> thinks like I can show you the world. Oh my god! Then it's really the random. Whole thing just rises from ash. <laughs> yeah, like a whole city just. Rises from the ground and appears. Mm. And... And just reconstructs it in his memory, yeah. right? So we get the five-foot way stirring to life. And over here, the bilingual shop signs, unspooling as split by my dad's passage. So there's this reference to the intertwining of East and West mm-hmm. that's been present ever since his dad's time. So it's not something that's new. It's something that's been there for a very, very long time. And in the next stanza, we get a lot of rich imagery. We get uh, Chinese names scrolled in red or gold. We get a medical hall with jars or herbal kiosks. We get a goldsmith with an arm guard. We get a dry goods store retaining salted fish. We get uh, Shatayas auditing their ledges. And immediately there's, I think, similar to Loquats, a mm-hmm. sense of transaction. Of course, the, the stanza ends off with the binary of customer and proprietor. Mm. And I think this sense of transaction in the relationship uh, develops further on. But I think I'll, I'll talk about it first. Uh. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there's this conflict between the role of nostalgia to the speaker in this poem. So, um, of course, the first thing is that nostalgia is a source of pleasure, it's a source of richness. It's a, a safe space that the mm. speaker is able to retreat to. But on the other hand, being uh, too immersed in that nostalgia could also prevent one from moving forward, right? As we see in uh, stanza further down the poem. Ah, yeah. So in this stanza here, we walk past the lone sharks, past his bankruptcy, past the accident and the limp, past the corn in his brain, past the mistakes to his prime. It's carrying me on his shoulders as I will my son, a life and death a hit. So there's a mention here of uh, the beautiful, the gorgeous things that actually await, that, that, that do await one. Mm-hmm. If they manage to act, uh, if they manage to push past uh, nostalgia eventually, mm. so it's like how I interpreted yeah. this stanza was actually because you mentioned nostalgia being a safe place, right? Then I was thinking them walking past the loan sharks, past the bankruptcy, whatever, whatever. I don't know. I feel like it's just 
and you're recalling the past, you just choose to leave out the more negative things and only remember the good things. So yeah, that's the nostalgia being a safe place part for me. Mm. Yep. And where were we? Uh? We are customer and proprietor. Okay, I think we can develop this idea further on as we continue reading a poem. Yep. But if we move on to the next stanza, we again get the sense of urgency that pervades this piece. Uh, in, this stanza, in, in the stanza where he goes past Malacca Street to Raffles Place, mm. then there's the next line, a film reel, I keep running. We see the consonants of the, I mean, the, the alliteration of the rolling R sounds. There's mm. the sense of urgency uh, speeding up. As long as I keep it going, keep my father moving, he will be safe. Yeah. And yeah, this immediately conjures up the question, safe from what? Is it uh, being forgotten? Is it being conf- consigned to the past, having his legacy and memory forgotten? And, and it's not just the father, yeah. right? it's also the city, the Singapore of the past. Because, right. yeah, like, throughout the poem, the dead and the city of the 70s, I think, yeah, the 70s, they're like, they're so closely intertwined that you can't have one without the other. So this poem is not just about him reminiscing about his father, missing his father, not wanting to forget his father. It's also trying to recover the Singapore of the past, trying to remember um, how things were like back then. And that's why I think also there's the name dropping of so many places, right? Like Cecil Street. Malacca Street, Raffles Place, it, it like hints at the desperation that we are getting at, the persona's de- desperation to cling on to these places as if simply by naming them right, it's better able to define, give them definition, better to give them a place somewhere at least so it won't fade away as easily. Right, and I think if we move on to the next few lines, we get that development of uh, the the that conflict present within uh, burying oneself in nostalgia. So mm. his father pauses to light the cigarette that will keep him going, but also kill him. Yep. So uh, what's striking here is the alliteration between both words, but then contrast between what they actually mean. Mm. Uh, yeah, like what uh, I've mentioned about nostalgia earlier. Mm-hmm. It's something that maybe may keep someone going in, in, in the present, but if one continues to be immersed in it or is uh, overpowered in it yeah. and and lacks the ability to get out of it, it might also uh, kill one and prevent one from moving on towards the future. Mm-hmm. And if we move on, the, the speaker also mentions that he passive smokes the smell of memory and place. And it's interesting because passive implies a lack of uh, individual agency. Mm-hmm. So you're not making the choice to smoke. You're passive smoking. You're standing at the side. Or rather, that the smoke is like so uh, widespread that, that you have uh, no way to escape it. And mm-hmm. the, the, the speaker there is just like overpowered and, and arrested by that far-reaching nostalgia. Yeah. And also how like he is experiencing the past through... Nostalgia through poetry, through his father's experience. So it might not even be the persona's, persona's his own experience. So that's where the passive smoke part comes in for me. Yeah. And I think just a, just a small little detail where after he says he passive smokes the smell of memory and place, right? Mm-hmm. Then we get the line, the line with the line break, the arcade and Robinson's resurrected from the giddy smoke. So in terms of the 
the sense it the, the the consonants of the R kind of gives off that um that feel that image of of plumes of smoke forming in the air and circling around each other. Mm. And yeah, it is it's quite interesting. Yeah. I mean it makes the nostalgia, the memory even more concrete, right? It makes it even yeah. more vivid. It's a lot more so, um visceral. Yeah. So next stanza, it is 1970, and we have not lost each other or the city. So this is where the intertwining of the dead and city come in. We drift along the length of the alley, the stalls signaling us on, the souvenir shops, the sundry goods, the money changes egging us on, giving us back the lost years. So I mean, the only thing comments on this past the civilians are. Mm. Yeah, which goes back to the making the memory more visceral, right, more vivid. Right. Mm, and I think there's also that hearkening back uh, to the idea of the transaction. Mm-hmm. So here it's like that very aggressive marketing, the stall signaling us mm. on, souvenir shops, sundry goods, money changes, egging us on, uh, the, 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 the consonants, the, the, the G sound. Mm-hmm. It's like uh, some, something is edging you forward. Pushing you mm. forward, tempting you. Yeah. But if we move on to the next stanza, we get the more ugly side of it, of of of, of these transactions. So mm. we get loan sharks, we get bankruptcy, we get uh, all these like uh, mistakes, we get all these shortcomings that come with well excess. Yeah. Right. Uh, being consuming too much. Mm. To say it simply, and through this, uh, the, the speaker highlights the hope and, and the beauty present within the future. Mm-hmm. Right, uh, being able to walk past all these uh, mistakes to his prime, the the pinnacle, uh, and and he's carrying me on his shoulders. And here, the speaker makes mention of his own son. So, what can be more? Uh, beautiful than, than human life itself. Mm-hmm. And he also mentions that he's above the bazaar himself. Yep. So, I don't know, I kind of read this as maybe his eventual ability to transcend uh, nostalgia and continue carving out his um, future. Oh. But do you have any thoughts at this point? Not really, but the way you linked it to nostalgia, right? Because we've been talking about transaction, like how yeah. how being nostalgic gives you gives you the ability to carry on, right? I mean, the the sense of transaction, that, like it tempts you, the soul signaling us, the souvenir shops, blah 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 blah. So and then the bazaar, I mean, bazaar is where things are sold, right? So if you're above the bazaar, so maybe you're above the transactional part of souvenir, like getting something from the past in order for you to carry on. Maybe being above the bazaar is a way of transcending that ambivalence towards nostalgia. I'm not sure. Mm. And uh, and uh, I think in the next sense, uh, he actually directly uh, mentions his ability to transcend uh, nostalgia and, and, and time itself. So yep. he says that he's riding his father like a camel and the two of them are traveling above the currents of time. Mm. And yeah, this grow, this is like, how do I say, uh, escalation in the scale of things. Mm. So it, it goes from like a, a small, like more grounded bazaar to yeah. something more cosmic 
you catch yeah. whiffs of worlds out there. You get um the the current current of time. Time. Yeah. So it, it is quite interesting to to read and, and think about. Mm. There's also I would say a sort of symbiotic relationship going on here. Firstly, the speaker is riding his father like a camel, so he's depending upon his father. But in the next stanza, he he is carrying his father. So now the father is the one that's depending on him. Or, of course, another reading could be that his father is a sort of, like, mental burden, but I'm not sure how we can develop that, so we go with the former. Mm. But, yeah, and I'm carrying him as I will carry the full pack, and mine's in the army as I will carry his absence around the world. So, yeah, we could read this as maybe a sort of psychological burden, or we could carry, we could, we could read this as, I'm not really sure how to articulate this. I feel like carrying the full pack and minds in the army is like, you're prepared for war, right? You're prepared for danger. Arming yourself for the dangers in the world. And this carrying his father, carrying his absence around the world, I feel like his memory of his father sustains him in what is a scary world to live in. So that's how I interpret this part. Right. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And yeah, like you said, he, his father is kind of like a, a support system mm. who, who, as we see, urges him on with gentle kicks. A tired rider mm. who knows we must not stop. Or the desert will close in and night will take him from the sun. Mm. And if we move on to the last stanza... It's a very interesting development here where his father walks him to the end of the alley. So seemingly like a dead end. Uh, It's past the place where his poetry has come from, past the end to the beginning, the beginning to end, then back again to the close of time. Mm -hmm. So uh, right away, there's this uh, rejection of limits. Yep. Uh, there's this tangling up of chronology so you don't know where's the beginning you don't know where's the end hmm. everything just exists as like a uh, not not a singular uh, entity but more of like it's just there I hmm. guess it just keeps going on and on and on yeah it just keeps going on and on and on yeah and again we see that escalation of scale to the very close of time itself so this Mm. invites the questions is there even an end to time if there is even an end to time can we actually comprehend it Mm. i feel like for this okay he walks me to the end of the alley right i think the alley could also be interpreted as his life i mean he would remember his dad until he dies right to the end of the alley so past the place where where his poetry has come from so okay maybe like certain times in his life then past the end to the beginning the beginning to the end it's just like a sense of ad infinitum right keep going on and on continuing continuing to write experiencing life but his father will just continue walking him to the end of the alley to the close of time and like he could have chosen to end this poem with like then back again and ellipsis for example but instead he ends it with to the close of time full stop so he is aware that life will end lah his memory of his death will end. But that will only end when he dies. And when he dies, time ends. And so it's like he will never forget his father even if he dies. So that's how I interpret this part. Like to the close of time, I think 
he he does have the recognition that he will die and the memory will end. But right. because it's when he dies, it's like you are not exactly forgetting him afterwards. It's just that you're dead, lah. That's all. Yeah, true. And I think that also goes back to uh, how Bowie treats time in his poetry, mm-hmm. where time and and phenomena are something that are defined by human consciousness, that are defined by experience. And mm. so the very death of human consciousness is the death of time itself. Yes, totally. And something else I really like about this poem is that it's really place-specific, you know. It's a poem written about Singapore, and I think like this is something I've been gravitating towards recently. Just like writing poetry is a really meaningful way to engage in place-making, to understand the place that you live in, understand the people around you, the history that this place holds. Yeah, so I I like this kind of this kind of poems a lot. Uh. In, in the second stanza, right, the five-foot way is stirring to life. I know this is a very, very huge digression, but I only learned about the five-foot way recently. Uh. Do you know what the five-foot way is? Sorry, what, what is the five-foot way? Exactly. The five-foot way, apparently, is a really prominent architectural trait for Singapore, Singapore buildings, like typically shop houses in downtown, I think. Basically, it's just the walkway in front of the shop houses and trees, you know? Yeah, oh. so it's like, yeah, it's five foot way because, I mean, the breadth of the walkway is approximately five feet in length. Yeah. Wow. That's quite cool. And I only learned about it this year. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's called yeah. Kaki Lima, and it's a roofed continuous walkway that is commonly found in front of shops in Malaysia, Singapore, and Indonesia. Yeah. Hmm, interesting. Yep. Mm, what, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah. I think uh this was Bowie Kinchin was one of the the earlier Singaporean poets that I read. Mm-hmm. And I think back then I thought it was also very uh refreshing that he was able to talk about Singapore through yeah. a more uh through a through a, a larger scope. Mm. Because I think a more common image associated with Singapore and, and maybe Singaporean like writing is the the H D B flat which mm-hmm. tends to be more like uh, constrictive and suffocating. So being able to get a whiff of like all these different places and sceneries, even yeah. even though it's like a crowded bazaar, presumably, mm-hmm. it's, it's still quite refreshing and somewhat liberating. Yeah. I mean, on this note that you mentioned, it's refreshing, right? Because you would expect, I mean, nowadays, people to write about HDBs, right? The book I'm currently reading called Streets and Places of Singapore, like in the introduction, some author wrote that streets doesn't really make sense in the Singaporean context anymore because there's not much life in Singapore streets nowadays. So if you were to write about places in Singapore, it would be like shopping malls of Singapore or like void decks of Singapore or HDP flats of Singapore. So yeah, I guess that's why we find it refreshing because our generation doesn't really didn't really grow up with like lively streets that you would see in like Cecil Street or whatever, like we have no, we don't even have the knowledge where these streets are. For example, what they're known for, what characteristics they have. Yeah. Oh, that's a good point. So that's something I'm really interested in now. True. Oh, oh, and and the title, uh, ahead my father moves. Mm-hmm. So, uh, what's striking about this is kind of like his father is something that's so near yet so far. Mm. So. Uh, although he's right in front of him and, and maybe physically might be close to him, yeah, but he's always ahead and he's always moving. So mm. 
the memory of his father is something that he's constantly reaching after but can never fully yeah. uh, materialize. And and yeah, that's the ability that's to like correct. lead him on, right, and sustain him. Yeah, maybe yeah. it's the very uh, process of of chasing that memory that that sustains him. Yeah, the longing, you know, like you'll never you'll never get what you want, but the desire spurs you on. That longing spurs you on. Right. Yeah, that's quite interesting because the father is the one who's dead, whereas the guy, the person is the one who's living, and yet it's the dead person who is leading the person alive on, which is quite interesting for me. And and it is also somewhat poetic in the sense that uh, his father was the one who came before him and and birthed him, helped mm. to birth him. Uh, <laughs> but at the end of it all, his father is also the one that's in front of him, leading him on. Mm. Yeah. So yeah, this is a very quite an impressive piece actually. My favorite is still Loquet, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.